I know that, and you know that, but the listeners don't know that. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks episode number 156. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. And me, Andrew Madsen. We're the only ones today. Chuck couldn't make it. So we're going to talk a little bit about WWDC, which, as we record, this is a couple weeks away, but should be uh, shortly after the episode comes out. We talk about our wish list and predictions and just what we're thinking in the lead up. So, James, WWDC is always sort of an exciting time, kind of like Christmas for Apple developers. And if you're like me and I think most developers, you've already been thinking about what you hope Apple will release or announce. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Definitely. It's an exciting time, and this is my third year without getting a ticket. Uh, I still go to San Francisco, so I'll be at AllConf. I'll be speaking at AllConf, which was just announced uh, within the past week or so of recording. So that, that'll be fun. I'll be talking iOS uh, unit testing in Swift, so that should be fun. But, you know, we go to DubDub to see the people. We also go to see what is going to be announced. And one cool thing that I heard from Google I.O. last week Google I.O. happened, and I made a point to catch the keynote just to see what was going on. I didn't listen to any of the sessions or anything like that, but they went down to Shoreline Amphitheater, which is kind of cool. I think I saw some Grateful Dead videos there. I'm not sure. So it was a little weird to see a tech conference at Shoreline Amphitheater, but that was cool. So I saw the keynote, and one thing that I really liked that they demoed was instant apps. And they did a demo by the BuzzFeed video team, the Android team. Uh, people I know, they're, uh, BuzzFeed, most of BuzzFeed Mobile is done in Minneapolis. So I know the mobile developer there, mobile developers on Android and iOS pretty well. But they did a demonstration with the BuzzFeed video app you know, with Tasty with all these crazy unhealthy recipes that they, they kick out to everyone. And they just had a link on a text and it went to a link and you could download part of the app. It wasn't a complete download it was just a little piece of that functionality, and that's something I didn't expect. And they kept pretty tight wraps on it. Even the people I knew on the on the Android team didn't say anything. But I think that's really a game changer for how apps can be developed. Because I talk with a lot of companies that you know they have all this cool functionality they want people to do, but you know how many apps do you have on your phone? I don't know where any of my apps are anymore. I have to do the the search, the spotlights, or whatever it is on iOS to find any apps. I like I don't need any more apps. I have too many. This is a way to deliver part of functionality without you know, requiring people to do a full download. So I think that's really cool. So uh, look into instant apps. I think that's something I really hope Apple gets a jump on because I can really open the doorways to a lot, a lot of new functionality that right now people just aren't downloading apps for. Yeah, so I heard about this and thought it was interesting. I guess the appeal is that it's instant and you don't actually have to download anything. I'm sort of curious to know how they make it work. And then, of course, my mind goes to how Apple could make this work. You know, essentially, you have to have part of your app be standalone, right? It needs to be able to work without all the rest of the app running and 
Presumably you want it to be light on resources and whatever. You can't download 100 megabytes and expect that to be instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously you have to download something, but we have better ability to split our apps into libraries, even though it's you know frameworks, even though it's still pretty painful in a lot of cases, at least on iOS. It might, I think it's better in, in the Mac world. But yeah, you would need some sort of kind of loosely coupled version of your app that gets downloaded. So I don't, yeah, I don't know, I don't know the, the internals of how they're doing it, but it's cool to think about. Do you have any ideas on how they could do it? Well, so Apple does already have this idea of app extensions, right? And you can add an extension that lets you do image editing or do image effects in another app and that kind of thing. So I think there there's some sort of infrastructure there for having part of an app with app extensions, having part of an app run basically independently from the rest. Google has not actually made this feature live yet. They just announced that it was coming out. And so it'll be interesting to see what developers have to do to make it work. But it seems to me like something along the lines of app extensions that we already have should enable this, I think. Yeah, we have things like today extensions, which still rely on the app being installed, but you could do a smaller version of that that just runs on a probably a lighter SDK. You don't wouldn't have the full UI kit necessarily, but you could right. have a smaller subset that you can do. It'll be interesting to find out if you know the parts that you download are are actually separate apps or are those the same things that are integrated in the full app. You know, can you take a component and use it in both places, or is it kind of rewritten? It'll be interesting to to find out or see how Apple handles it. You know, there's a question in my mind that sometimes announcements from Apple and other companies in the same space coincide because they were both working on them at the same time. You know, maybe Apple's already working on this concept and they'll announce it. But if they were not already working on it, if they hadn't thought of it themselves, then they're obviously not going to be able to respond to Google and have something to announce by WWDC, so it'll be next year. If they do announce it this year, it's interesting to me because it's not an idea I had at all. It's not something I had thought of, and the fact that both companies would be working on it must mean that it's attractive to, probably attractive to a fair number of people. Along the lines of, of stuff Google and other companies are working on. It seems like there's been a lot of attention lately on bots. You know, I've heard a lot lately about uh, Amazon's Echo and Alexa and uh, how that has support for third-party integrations. And I don't have one myself, but I've heard a lot of people say that it works really well and in some cases works better than Siri. And I do wonder if Apple's working along those lines, if nothing else, to open up Siri to third-party developers. Yeah, that leads to my, my second wish list for DubDub, which is the Siri SDK. I would like to have some integration with Siri and be able to open up apps to, you know, voice input. And to your point, I think, I don't, yeah, I don't have an Echo. I haven't used it. But from what I'm seeing is you can be in the same room trying to get Siri to, to work correctly. And your Echo in the other room may pick up the answer or pick up your text better than what Siri did. So I think the other players are a little bit ahead as far as the voice recognition. But even having Siri do something and be able to integrate it to apps, I think that's a really cool feature that can really open up new possibilities for development. Yeah, and of course the in the last day or two there have, has been a rumor that Apple is is going to announce a, a Siri SDK and also that they're going to announce something like the Amazon Echo, sort of a standalone device for where you put it in your house and you can just talk to it and use Siri without your phone or, or whatever. We'll see. For me, my watch already works. Pr- I, I actually use Siri on my Apple Watch fairly often to set myself to set reminders for myself and to set timers and that sort of thing which i think is a big part of what people use those devices for i guess with echo you can sort of shop on amazon but i don't feel a huge need to do that maybe i'll change my mind after i try one no i think that's a good point having a having a device 
in-home seems like something that's up, up at Apple's alley. I think that's something that they would do, and that would be within something they would deliver. So I think that's that's a likely thing, and that would be cool technology to play with. I like the idea of Apple doing this more than Amazon or Google for the same reason that I like a lot a lot of uh, you know things Apple does. But that is that I think with both Amazon and Google, uh, they're trying to get data. They're trying to get your data, and that's how they really make their money. Well, I mean, Amazon sells stuff, but they're better able to sell you stuff if they know a lot about what you want. And Apple famously is not really trying to get your data, and uh, they just want to sell sell devices to you. And so I have a feeling whatever they do for Siri for third-party integration and also if they have sort of an always-on device that's in your house, that I can trust it as far as privacy goes more. So as an Apple fan, I'm a little more inclined to use their version of that than I am Amazon's or Google's. Yeah, and if you already have Apple TV and you know iPhones, you know, you're gonna have tighter integration, better access to apps, and that sort of thing. Yep. So if you're if you're in the ecosystem, it makes sense. And this is the type of thing that Apple has traditionally done very well: user-facing products, where you know the other players stumble out of the gate a little bit. Right. As far as my wish list goes, I think uh, something that has been sort of on my mind recently. I got a I got one of the new newish 9.7 inch iPad Pros. And I really like it. It's great. I upgraded from an iPad 3, which was a little bit of an odd duck in the iPad lineup and is really slow at this point, like too slow for it to be really pleasant to use. And so the iPad Pro being so fast and new is has been really great. Uh, and I've, I've started uh, using it a lot more than I used my previous iPads because of that. And, and the Apple Pencil is really nice. I use it to take notes and whatever. But, you know, the big glaring the glaring omission on, on the iPad or on iOS is is Xcode because that's what I spend most of my time doing when I'm on or using when I'm on my Mac and uh, makes it so that I just simply can't replace my Mac even for like I I couldn't really even just take my iPad Pro instead of my laptop places because usually I want to be able to write code so I hope they do some sort of Xcode for for iOS I don't imagine it'll be a full-blown my guess is that if they do that the first shot at it won't be a full-blown replacement for xcode but even just something like swift playgrounds on on ios could be really cool yeah definitely that would be a cool thing to see uh, just to be able to get more functionality out of the ipad i think that's definitely outside of i think the original vision of what ipad would be you know in steve jobs language but the competition is creating tablets, small devices where you can actually you know, do development and use it as a as a computer. So I think it would make sense for Apple to move in that direction. So I'd like to hack on my iPad. To some degree, I agree. I think you're talking about Steve Jobs' uh, trucks versus cars analogy where he was saying that most people don't really need a truck. They just need a car. But then some people you know, do construction or whatever, and they really need a truck to haul things around. And so even though cars are by far the more popular vehicle, trucks are never going to go away. And he was saying sort of Macs are like trucks and, you know, at least in the future, Macs would be like trucks and iOS devices would be like cars. And I think that's all fine and good. But at the same time, if Apple says that the iPad is their vision for the future of personal computing, they obviously can't leave development out of personal computing. And even if they only did something like I was just saying, like like Swift Playgrounds on iOS, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, right? Because that means people who have a car or who have an iOS device in the analogy can at least start playing around and learning how to program. And sure, maybe they need to upgrade to a truck, at least for now. By truck, I mean Mac. But I would love to see it. I mean, my little sister has an iPad, and I think it would be great if she could start playing around with Swift. And of course, there are apps out there, like there's a really good Python, I guess you'd call it like an IDE called Pythonista for iOS. And there are other other apps that let you write code on, on iOS, but I would love to see Apple do something there. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it doesn't have to be tablet versus a laptop. You know, we've got an iPad Air, which is a pretty light, you know, laptop device. But Microsoft has bridged those two worlds with a Surface, which works reasonably well in both things. And you can have a iPad-type functionality, tablet functionality, but you can also drill down into, you know, real apps, word processors, spreadsheets, things that people do for real work, and and Xcode or Visual Studio, that would fit in well with that. So it's possible that Apple Apple could move in that direction because I think Surface has been a success. People like the device and they use it. Yeah, and I think part of iOS, you know, being a, a new vision for computing is not just about the things people do on it. It's about the way the OS works. I mean, obviously, touch being the primary input method is a big part of that. But, you know, even just sort of removing some of the old, confusing, complicated stuff from users' view, like the file system and whatever, is part of that. And I I actually think there is room for Apple to provide development tools that, you know, maintain that sort of vision. Maybe not to the same degree that the average user uh, sees when using an iOS device. For example, you, you know, very well might want like a debugger console or something like that. But it's exciting to me that, you know, the idea of new development tools that fit in with some of these new ideas about the way personal computing should work uh, is exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. I do a lot of Mac development, and there's been a lot of talk, you know, the last, I don't know, really, I guess a year or two about a modern version of AppKit. And to be honest, I don't really wish for that that much because I feel quite comfortable with AppKit, and I like it, and I don't find it troublesome in the same way that maybe somebody moving from iOS does. But I would like, as far as both platforms go, I think it would be really cool to see a a Swift first framework. So it doesn't have to be big. I don't really think they're going to replace AppKit or UIKit in you know, in one shot at WWDC. But even if they just release one new framework that's sort of Swift first, that would be pretty cool. If they could replace UIKit with Swift, a Swift framework, they could just come out, announce that, drop the mic, and leave. Yeah, I don't think it's going to It'd be a good week. I mean, they have big technical problems that make that unlikely, namely that Swift is not ABI stable yet. So whatever framework this would be, I think they would have to... Uh, it would have to ship with, it would have to get bundled with apps like the standard libraries currently do. But it seems like they could make something that was small, right, that got uh, bundled with the app. Yeah, it's good to hope. Uh, yeah, we might start seeing things like that start to develop, but I agree with you. You know, a, a Swift UI kit's probably a little bit down the road, but coming. I'm sure there are people inside Apple working on it. I hope so. Oh, we totally forgot about it. We never thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Doing UI kit in Swift. Oh, throw it together in two weeks. What else? Anything else you want to see? Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity for things that we could see. I don't have any direct wishes, but I think that a lot of things that you know, Microsoft, Google are coming out with and putting a lot of thought into that Apple hasn't really gotten into. We saw bots come out with Microsoft and Facebook. That's something that Apple might be working on. I don't know. I don't know if we'll see it. I don't know if they'll make an improvement, but that seems like an area where they might have something like that. Um, that's something that they haven't shown a whole lot of. They haven't really tipped their hat or tipped their cards to see if they're going in that direction, but that's a possibility, and it would be interesting to see how they how they approach that. That could really be part of a of a Siri SDK. It seems like, I mean, Microsoft in particular, their bots are uh, integrated. I think they're integrated with Cortana, which is essentially their version of Siri, and then Skype. And I don't know if you think about it. Perhaps Apple could make bots that worked with iMessage or something, but Siri sort of seems like the obvious choice. Yeah, it is, I think. But I think it would have to work with both. I think voice is not a suitable input in a lot of different cases, especially if it's loud or, or if it's quiet and you have people next to you. You know, if I'm in a, a co-working spot, Siri's great for, you know, doing a set of timer for 15 minutes for my break. But if people are being quiet, I don't want to do that one. 
you know, when people are around me for being yeah. quiet. So I think text input's still going to be there, and both are important. And I think, as I mentioned before, Siri's probably a little bit behind in the voice recognition compared to some of the other players on what it can pick up, even though it does pretty well. I use Siri. I don't really have any, have any, have any real complaints with it, but definitely there's room for improvement, I think. We're going to see a lot of terrible voice apps before we see some really good ones. But that's the nature of progress. Yeah, it'll take a while. Do you have anything that, not on the developer side, but uh, anything you'd like to see in iOS 10, which I assume they're, they will announce? Yeah, I haven't thought about it. I yeah, I, I watch the, the keynotes, so you're like, oh, that's a cool feature. I never thought of that. And I, I'm, I'm always scared to update until it's like already <laughs> released. I just don't do it. Yeah, I, I, I rarely, if ever, run iOS betas. I sometimes will install them on a... Oh, OS X beta. Are we, are we talking iOS? Yeah. yeah sorry, I, I, I misheard you. IOS. Yeah, uh, sorry, I was talking to OS X. So. Well, okay, sure. <laughs> I've, got, I've got enough random devices sitting around so I can download an iOS 10. New features. You know, I was really excited for the... What's the dimming technology? Night shift. Night shift, yeah. I was so excited for that and I never turned it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I set it to turn on every night, and I, I actually quite like it. Okay. It took a little while after the download. I tried to, to get it going, and it didn't quite happen with my device. I've got an older 5C, so uh, the actual download where I could actually turn it on didn't happen, so I lost my excitement. And I've gotten in the habit where I shut off my devices an hour or so before I go to bed, so it's less pressing at this point. But Well, cool. yeah, and one, one issue with that feature actually was that, at least when it first came out, if you had low-power mode on you know your battery was at 20 percent. you turned on low power mode you couldn't have night shift active if low power mode was on and of course your battery is most likely to be low late at night when you've been using your phone all day so that ha- would happen to me a lot but they actually just fixed that in 9.3.2 so you can now keep night shift enabled even when low power mode is on and uh, i do like the feature but you know it's it's actually not surprising to me that they released it in a point update because it's not I'm not sure it's a huge flagship feature that really changes the way you use iOS. No, maybe not. So do you have any wish lists for iOS 10? No, not off the top of my head as far as um, you know, user-facing features. But I actually think that's kind of exciting because there have been WWDCs where there have been a lot of rumors and you know, people have been talking about things that they wanted to see come out. And you know, that list has been sometimes pretty long. And this year, I don't feel like that's true. I don't feel like I have a a long list of things I'd like to see or even, you know, things that are rumored to be coming. But I have to figure Apple has plenty to announce. So it's exciting to, you know, just be surprised with hopefully cool new stuff. One thing that's interesting about this year is it might have been that Swift 3.0 would be the big announcement. I mean, Swift 3.0 is going to be a, a huge change to Swift. But because Swift is open source now and it's all public and we all already know what Swift 3.0 is, you know, what's happening with Swift 3.0, they can't really use Swift as one of their big announcements, right? So they, they have to have other cool stuff to show us. That's right. Raising the bar. And I think they can, they'll still talk about it because not everyone is checking the, the mailing list and the Git repositories. But it definitely takes the air out of some of it, at least the more hardcore factions of developer, developers. Yeah, well, they can't make it, you know, I mean, remember when Swift was announced, that was by far the most exciting thing in the keynote for developers anyway. But sure, I'm sure there will be sessions about Swift 3 and, you know, updating your code and whatever, but and taking advantage of new features. But it it just can't be a big announcement to wow everybody with exciting new stuff because we all know about it. And undoubtedly, Apple has got stuff that they've been working on in secret that they're excited to show everyone. Definitely. Yeah, some things that might happen that I think that are 
just by looking at gaps between Apple and you know, the competition, their, their Google Wear and their watch technology has a lot better battery life than Apple's. So if you have a wearable device, I was talking with a startup within the last couple of weeks that they really can't develop for the Apple Watch because people unplug or people charge their Apple Watch overnight. So if you do any type of monitoring for, for whatever, for health reasons or sleep monitoring, you know, that can't really happen on the watch. And I guess physically it's not possible because the thing goes right where your wrist would be. So that's one area I'd like to see improved. And I think there's room for improvement. Um, have some way to get readings from the Apple Watch at night, either by improved battery life or just a different way of charging. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I was actually not surprised that they did not announce a new watch in the spring, which would have been a year after the the first one came out. And I was glad about that because I thought a yearly upgrade cycle for such an expensive watch that's also sort of a fashion accessory would be annoying. But I definitely hope that they've got new stuff that they're working on. I would take it that any software changes, you know, watchOS 3 or whatever would be announced here. But I still wouldn't be surprised if hardware is held back until either the fall when they do the new iPhone event or, you know, or another event a month later or maybe even next spring. I, I actually wouldn't be upset with a something like a two-year upgrade cycle, at least this time around, as long as they're doing stuff on the, you know, with the software to make things better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I think they're a bit behind a lot of things, a lot of functionality, especially being able to use the watch without the phone. I mean, you've there's some standalone functionality, but you're basically tied to using the phone or having the phone with you if you use your watch, which Google I.O. announced that's not the case with them. You can have your exercise app and throw it on your wrist and go and leave your phone behind. You know, So that's they're a bit behind, so they might be a little sooner than you might expect, which can be good or bad. If they push something out the door, it's not going to be the right experience and not the right hardware. So we'll see what they do. Do you have any ideas for tvOS updates or Apple TV updates? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I use my Apple TV, but I basically just load up the apps, my HBO app or baseball, hockey, just the stuff I want to watch, and I just watch it. it. It's, you know, that's most of what my TV viewing is through my, my Apple TV. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really thinking about, oh, this would be really cool if I had this because it, it does what I want on TV to do. So it's uh, interesting to see what they do, what they do. Do you have any ideas? Well, there I, I have some complaints about certain things with the Apple TV, like maybe these are not all Apple's fault, but for example, the Netflix app, if this thing falls asleep and I come back to it, the Netflix app has often put up an error and won't really let me do anything unless I kill it and sign back in and or you know, or and reopen it and you know, probably that's just Netflix's app is being stupid, but I think that's most of the apps. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the apps don't do that well. Um I I'm seeing it with the number ones. Number of apps. But it, it's dumb because that's how people use the device, right? They watch something and then they come back to it the next day and they expect it to just keep working. Uh, I also think the remote is not great. Enough people have complained about that without me adding my voice to it. But that's a hardware thing. They can't really fix that with an iOS update. So I don't know. To some degree, whether it's something Apple can do or not and whether it's part of broader changes or not, I would really like you know, for there to be a more compelling market for tvOS apps. I don't think right now it's something that, you know, is very viable for most developers to make money on. And, yeah, yeah, I think discovery is not really a big part of it. And, you know, maybe some games, but definitely I think that the apps that are popular have content that people want to see. And that's, that's those are the successful TV apps at this point. And I agree with you about the remote. It's hard to tell which end is up when you grab it in the dark. 
just the side with the, the mousy thing or is it not so there are there are tricks with it and i think yeah coming back from a rest restful state that can be improved so better operating system support for resuming video which is pretty core to what they do so i think that makes sense for something that can be improved because i think most of the apps i use if they come back to it you can get in a weird state pretty easily i had to reboot the device actually power cycle the device at one point i had come back after a couple of weeks of not using it and nothing worked and it was down so i power cycled it and everything came back it's really not great i'm at, oh yeah i'm having a problem too with where wi-fi works fine but i previously had my apple tv hardwired with ethernet and that just sort of stopped working it would say it didn't have a network connection even though the ethernet connection is good i can test it on another device and so i ended up unplugging it it's working fine on wi-fi but that's a little bit annoying and why did it break I i guess an update broke it i don't know it just stopped working maybe it's a hardware problem my apple tv was is a free developer unit so i guess i can't complain too much well i paid a dollar for it right that's still money yeah, a dollar seven with tax, I think. I do think, though, uh, I would love it if this WWDC was the start of some real changes to the App Store to make things better for developers. My guess is they've started this new one-day app review thing is their first step along along that set of improvements, and I'm that's really welcome. But there's a lot of other stuff they could do, like fixing App Store search and. I definitely don't mean adding paid results to search, which is something that has been rumored, but making it so search just actually works, you know? If I search for the name of an app, that should be the first result, for example. Weird, you know? Who would have thought? Yeah. As a Mac developer, the Mac App Store is just a complete mess. Both the app, the App Store app itself and the, you know, the fact that, for example, there's no test flight on the Mac App Store, which... It's pretty annoying because if you're using a technology like Cloud, you know, an, an Apple service like CloudKit, for example, it's just like beta testing was pre-test flight on iOS. It's quite a hassle. You have to provision and sign your own copy of the app and then send it to people and, add, you know, manually add their device IDs to your provisioning profile. And I think right now it's actually not even possible to provision an app yourself that uses the production CloudKit servers so you end up with beta testers that are testing using the development you know the sandbox cloud kit environment and then that doesn't sync with their ios version of your app that's being beta tested and it's it's really a mess there Uh, and you know of course i still would love to see things like free trials and paid upgrades and i don't know if that's ever going to happen but i'm somewhat hopeful with the change in the app stores now under phil schiller and the Review times have gotten so much better. It gives me a little hope that Apple is taking this stuff seriously and is working on improvements. So you've mentioned something that I hadn't heard in probably two years since they first announced it, or I had heard it, but nothing positive about it. It's CloudKit. That's something that can be improved. Uh, Google made a big deal. They bought Firebase, which does a lot of the same type of things. Parse has gone away, so that was a, kind of a go-to backend for many things. And you spoke with Microsoft about one of their offerings and their Azure offering offerings. So I think Apple's going to make a improvement on CloudKit. So I think for most people, it's not really a, their first choice. Well, yeah, I, I, it actually would be among my first choices. I think it has a really nice API and some nice capabilities if you're just developing stuff for iOS and or Mac. I think the biggest you know, the biggest thing that makes it not attractive is that it's not really cross-platform. Although they, they did actually, uh, I don't know, was that last year? They they did add a, 
a JavaScript or a REST API for it. So you, you actually can use CloudKit in, in apps on Android and Windows and whatever. It would be nice to see real native SDKs for those. Beyond that, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I'm not using CloudKit in a shipping app. I've played around with it on my own just to learn it, but it's been pretty good. I think they did a good job with it. That's good to hear. So I haven't heard too many success stories with it. Glad to hear Well, yeah. it's improving. People got burned by how terrible iCloud and, you know, and all the iterations before that were. And I think they didn't want to trust CloudKit and rightfully so, but I actually think Apple did do a good job with it. I also have not heard people complaining that it just doesn't work right the way that iCloud just didn't work right, you know, before. So I did see where somebody did a their own, basically they wrapped the the JavaScript API with the same API that you get when you're using the, the native SDK, and that way you can include CloudKit in non-Mac App Store Mac apps. So that's apps that are just sold directly, which at least, if nothing else, is sort of a proof of concept for using CloudKit in apps that are not provisioned and sold through the App Store. I don't know if anyone's actually using it on Android, but it is supposed to be possible, and Apple doesn't mind if you want to do that. Very cool. One of the things that was announced at Google I.O. is that Google bought Firebase a couple of years ago, I guess, but they sort of announced that they're making it their platform for apps. And I've used Firebase a little, and I know a little bit about it, and I think that's pretty cool. It seems like they've added some nice new functionality to it as well. But the big downside is now, if you with the new Firebase SDK that they released, if you want to include the Firebase SDK in your app, the Firebase Core SDK or Core Framework includes the analytics package. So you're basically stuck sticking Google Analytics in your app if you want to use Firebase at all. And I'm still, you know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I'm still pretty skeptical of Google getting a hold of all my data or, you know, even worse, all my users' data. And I don't really like moves like that from them, even though I know it's how they're, you know, monetizing it. I just wish there was an alternative. So if Apple could better compete with that, and sort of do the privacy aspect better, I would be all for it. Yeah, definitely. That'd be a good way to differentiate that and the, the cross-platform story as you talked about. Yeah, right. So Firebase works on iOS and Android at least, and I, I think they might have... Well, they and then they've got a... They started out, I think, as a web thing, so they've got a REST API. So yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things that could happen that just judging, judging by what's happening in the rest of the industry, I'm not... I don't know if Apple's making any play for virtual reality, augmented reality. You know, Google did a big announcement with that, and you know, Microsoft is in that area. Is this something Apple's going to get into? Possibly. I don't know. Does it fit what they do? I don't know. It's, it's interesting to find out. So there are two big areas that seem like they're a big deal for other companies, and so far Apple has not really done anything with them. And those are virtual reality, which both Google and Microsoft, and well, Google, Microsoft, and Facebook are you know really involved in right now. Um, and then sort of the machine learning, artificial intelligence kind of stuff, which, you know, they, they do a little bit of that with Siri, I guess. But there's been recent, I think Marco Arment had a blog post in the last couple of days about how he, he, you know, he worries if Apple's not working on that stuff and not becoming really good at it, that they're sort of going to get left behind if that becomes a really big, important thing in the industry. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about those areas to really say one way or another, but it sure would be exciting if Apple was moving into that those areas. I'm particularly interested in virtual reality because it seems cooler to me just as a nerd than some of the machine learning stuff. But I'm not no, I, I crossing that, my fingers, but I think it would be it would be fun if they moved into those areas. Yeah, I think they definitely have to up the game with machine learning. Google made a big demonstration on the contextual interface with how they do their Google searches through their 
the voice API, you know, you could search for an artist, you know, uh, tell me about Prince and what was his, and the next search could be, what was his best album? And it would know based on what you're talking about, that you're talking about an artist and that was Prince or whoever. So that has the potential to be game changing as far as how people interact with computers. You know, as developers, we're used to having to make everything explicit and the various implicit human communication that we're just not used to doing with computers, I think will be very important. And it still has a ways to go, but I think there's a lot of cool things that you can do with that and make interaction with computers a lot more human-like, where they can pick up things that are implied from previous conversations. And So Apple's definitely in that direction. Uh, do they have something to announce, or does it just happen behind the, the scenes with what they announced for Siri? Who knows? It's an exciting one. I'm excited to watch the keynote and hear what's new. I won't be there this year. I didn't actually even enter the lottery. I just decided I couldn't quite um, swing it this year. But I'll be watching from afar and excited and hoping I can go next year. Yeah, definitely. I think there's room for some big announcements. Whether those happen, I think it could be a big one, and or it might just be fizzle. Might just be a, you know, a so-so one. But I think there's potential for a lot of really cool things. Well, I have heard from a little birdie that there's some stuff that I personally will be excited about coming out, but I don't have any details. <laughs> Andrew, you're gonna love it. No, I'm serious about that. I okay. just uh, don't. You know how those little birdies are? They don't tell you very much. But if that birdie said I was going to be excited, I, I believe it. So it's the bird that knows you. Sounds good. Yep. Knows what I like. So I think that covers most of it. Anything else before we get to the picks? I, I think it'll be fun to listen to this a week after, or the day after the keynote, and see if we were right about anything, or more likely we're just wrong about a bunch of stuff, and they announced yeah, things we didn't even think about. It's more like wrong, 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 eh, close, wrong. We'll see. We shall see. We, we covered everything and didn't commit to anything, so I think we're good. Right. Uh, should we get to the picks? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have some picks for us? All right, since we're talking about San Francisco around dub dub time, I'm going to do some picks that, since I've been there four times in the past three years, or I will have been, I'm almost an expert on the past two years of San Francisco. So we were out there a couple months ago. So I know the Moscone area pretty well at this point, um, when three years ago I didn't know anything. But the, I'm going to make some picks, some restaurant picks that are a little bit out of the way, but definitely worth checking out. One is Curry Up Now, and this is something that Pete Hodgson made a pick for a long time ago, and it's really good. They've got a curry burrito. It's a food truck. You have to walk a little ways, but it, it's you can do it within a within a lunchtime, an hour lunch. It's almost to AT&T Park underneath the freeway, but it's a food truck. You can get a curry burrito. It's excellent. Another pick is nearby. It's the Box Kitchen. It's on Natoma Street, not too far. Uh, we stayed at the pretty close to, you can see it from where we stayed last time, well, the Hampton Inn, kind of a side street. Uh, excellent food. Um, we went there for lunch. I think Alondo really picked it out. He went for he went there almost every day for a late night snack. He likes the chicken and waffles, and I had them. They were excellent. If they have the poutine, that was amazing. Uh, that's nearby. There's a couple bars that aren't the normal WWC bars that everyone goes to, uh, which you can look up anyone's. One I liked was... The Southside Spirit House, which is on Howard Street, good whiskey selection, and far enough away from the dub dub crowds where you won't get, you know, won't be too elbow to elbow. And there's another place on Market Street that's um, called Local Edition, more of a kind of a speakeasy style thing. You can go to a basement, uh, they'll have live music some nights, um, some really cool bands, nothing too loud or abusive. Um, had kind of a jazz blues type thing going. Good cocktails. That's called Local Edition. It's on six nine one Market Street. And yeah, uh, I'll be there. So 
people can look me up and you can find me on Twitter, James Uber, which is J-A-I-M-Z-U-B-E-R. I've, I've learned there are many people in this world that listen to the podcast that think, that think my name is James Uber. Um, pretty you're, common. You're named after the, the car, the ride sharing app, right? Yep. Just put a Z in it and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, and, uh, that's, so uh, those are my picks. Those are some, uh, things that you probably won't hear in the, the usual dub dub lists. Thanks for the picks. It kind of makes me wish I were going to be in San Francisco and actually reminds me that I do have a hotel reserved for the week and I probably ought to cancel that reservation before it's too late. Uh, I've got a couple picks. My first one is an app called Cathode, which I'm really surprised I've never picked before, but I couldn't find it in our list of previous picks. So uh, I'm going to pick it this week. This is a Mac app and also an iOS app. It's a terminal like a command line terminal app. Um, but the cool thing about it is that graphically it emulates vintage computer screens. So it's really customizable. It has a bunch of built-in presets, but basically it makes your terminal look like an old computer. You can you know make it look like a green screen or an amber monochrome screen, and you can change the curvature of the screen So because a lot of those, well, most of those screens had a curved front because they were an actual CRT tube. It has sound effects. It's, it even does something cool where it uses the front-facing camera to make it look like there's a reflection, like you can see your own reflection in the screen. And it's actually a pretty decent terminal emulator on top of that, uh, particularly the iOS app is a, is a pretty good terminal app for iOS. Uh, it's a paid app, but the developer's done a really good job. It's just just one guy that does this, and I really like it, so that's my first pick, Cathode. My second pick is a website that I just found out about today, and it's called woo.io, W-O-O.io. They're in beta right now. This is a jobs website, and I'm not actually looking for a job, but it just seems like a cool idea. Basically, you put in the regular info, sort of resume information, but then the unique part is you can sort of define a list of requirements. So these are things that you require to be interested in a job and it's like you know you can say you want a minimum salary or you want to be able to work remotely or needs to be located in a certain list of cities or you know you want to be able to work with a certain technology or whatever uh, so you can define these requirements and then they won't even show your show you to employers that don't meet those requirements so that way you don't get people contacting you about jobs you're just not even sort of interested in and hopefully it will mean you do get contacted about jobs that are really actually a good fit for you. So we'll see how it goes. I put my profile in, not because I'm looking for a job, but just because I was kind of interested to see how the whole thing worked. And it's a sort of a, a pre-pick because I don't, I don't know yet, but we'll see how it goes. Those are my picks. Sounds good. I have, I have one anti-pick, which I don't want to see. Two new messaging apps. One thing that Google introduced is Allo and something else. I don't need another thing to check if I know my wife is messaging me something. I don't need. To, I've got to check Facebook. I got to check my messenger, my text. I got to check, check, check like five more things. You know, is it Hangouts? So, please don't do that, Apple. Don't do that to us. Well, I thought that was particularly weird because you know they already have Google Hangouts and Google Chat, and they didn't just in, improve those; they replaced them or added to them. So, yeah, I definitely don't want to see Apple come out with a another version of iMessage or something. The one we've got is fine. If they want to add cool new stuff to it, that sounds great, but I don't need something else to check either. Exactly. All right. Well, anything else we should say? I think we're good. I'll, I'll see some of you in San Francisco. Sounds good. Everybody enjoy WWDC and see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.